0: If you really look at the business, there's a way to kind of break things down. There's a way to build it into processes and steps. There's a way to use people and technology to then automate and streamline a lot of the steps to where it can be a consistent business. And once you get to that point and you create that, it should be, and it can be a very high income producing business. For me, for the first couple of years, that's all I did was wholesale. Then I slowly transitioned into some fix and flip. And then from there, I just kind of kept moving. I kept asking myself, you know, what's next? What is the next level? How do I progress? And it's not always more deals. Sometimes it's higher margin deals. And that's the route I kind of took. Not everybody takes that route. You don't have to take that route. If you think about it, you could create a volume business where you're trying to do a lot of deals, maybe smaller margins or fewer deals with bigger margins. And I look at everything with a lifestyle filter. What's going to provide a better lifestyle? And what do you think? Volume or margin, which one provides a better lifestyle? Margin does every time because you have fewer deals to manage and oversee, and you know things that are going on when you have a margin model. It's margin. So when I say margin, meaning usually it means higher price homes because you can build in bigger profits. I mean, some of my higher end homes right now are six-figure profit deals, which is, you know, it might take you four or five or six small deals if you're doing fix and flip. It might take you 20 wholesales to get that same kind of number. On one high end deal. Now, there's trade offs, right? There's some risk and there's more capital and might take a little longer. And there's some of those things that you have to kind of manage when you do that. But all of that can be learned and you can adapt to that. But what you guys, what I want you to take away from these next two days is as we're going through and learning this, really think what model do you want to build? How do you want to structure your business? Do you want to do just wholesaling to start? Do you want to do just fix and flip? Do you want to do a little combination? Do you want to skip the low-end stuff and just get right up into the, you know, 300 and up price point? You know, where do you want to do this? My personal belief is that you shouldn't do one or the other, but rather both. If you think about the two models, right, of fix and flip and then wholesaling. I wasn't always this way, but this is kind of the way I look at the business now. Fix and flip has a lot more moving parts, right? Because what do you have to have with fix and flip that you don't have with wholesaling? Contracts. you got to manage a renovation. What else? There's another big one capital. Okay. So you have, you have contractors or managing and you have uh, capital. You don't have those two things with wholesaling, right? Cause you're flipping the contract. You're in, you're out, you don't own it. So you're not worrying about money. You're not worrying about contractors. The flip side of that is you can make more money with fix and flip. Now there's an argument as to whether or not hour per hour, if you actually do make more money, right? Cause think about it. If you invest 50 hours in a fix and flip, and you make X, and you invest five hours in a wholesale, and you make X. You know, If you divide the hours, what, what did you really make? Most fix and flippers actually aren't making more money than the wholesalers because they spend way too much time managing the projects, which we're going to talk a lot about. Because if you go the fix and flip route, I don't want you to earn a minimum wage. And if you do it wrong, you're going to spend all of your time on that one deal. It's going to be cons- all consuming, and you'll end up making less than you would at a job. This is honestly how it breaks down which would be terrible, wouldn't it? So we want to be very selective with fix and flips. So we don't want to take on any fix and flip. We want what? What kind of fix and flips do we want to take on? Well, high margin, right? They got to be profitable. They got to be a good deal worth the investment in time, energy, and effort to manage and raise capital and take on the risk and all of that time. So we want to be picky. So we want to do fix and flips, but we want to kind of focus on like the home run deals. Like, man, this is a good deal. I don't want to wholesale this deal. This deal... This can make 50 grand if I do everything right. I want to keep this one. But then our sub sub-mar- our margin, our, our less than desirable margin deals, what do we do? We wholesale them. You, you may start and say, you know, if I can make 25 on a fix and flip, I'm totally cool with that. But whatever, whatever your threshold is, just know that you want to progress into a point where you're now making your threshold gets bigger and bigger. I like the 100 grand and higher fix and flips, but now I got to be doing million dollar homes. But I kind of like that you know, I, I feel comfortable there now and not, I wasn't always, but so wherever you're at, wherever you want to start, I agree. I think 40, 50,000 should be kind of a minimum cutoff point for a fix and flip everything below that. It's, it's still a good deal for somebody. So then you wholesale it. What that allows you to do, it allows you to maximize every lead you get. So you get a deal that you put it through your filter. Should I fix and flip this? How do we decide if we fix and flip it? We look at the profit obviously, but there's another filter which I always put everything through, every decision I make, which is lifestyle. What do I have going on in my life right now? Do I have the capacity to take on this project? It's easy to say, oh, that sounds like a great project. I wanna take that on. But sometimes the answer should be no, I got too much going on right now. I should not do this project. <laughs> and then you wholesale it. So it's not just the money, but it's also, because ultimately at the end of the day, what is it we're trying to do here? Why are we, why are we doing this business? freedom, right? I mean, do you guys, are you guys here so you can work hundred hours a week? Is that why you guys are here? Yeah. Nobody's here for that, right? What if I said you can make a lot of money and make hundred and work hundred hours a week? Do you still want to do it? I hope not. Cause does what, what does a lot of money do if your work, if all you do is work, what does that do for you? It's not providing the benefit it's designed to do, which is lifestyle. All right, I don't know about you guys. I, I love real estate. Like I love land. I love houses. It's awesome, but it's a means to an end. That's all this is a means to an end. I think it's the best means to an end, meaning I think this is the best, the best and fastest way to make a lot of money compared to a, a lot of other businesses that I've seen. So it's great, but the reason why we're doing this is so that the income can provide time and freedom to really do the things that matter in life, right? And that what it's really all about? Yes. So we can't lose sight of that. It's easy to lose sight of that. Has anybody here ever overworked? We all have been guilty of overworking, I don't know, I don't know about, about you guys, but as soon as I fall into that mode where I'm overworking, I feel it, right? I feel tired. I feel exhausted. I don't feel... I, I, this discouragement kind of starts to set in, and you're not happy, right? When are you happy? You're happy when you get to do the things that really matter. And for me, I have a big family, and if I can be spending more time with my family and doing things with them and involved in my kids' events, and, you know, for me, that, that really is fulfilling. That really makes me feel like I'm living my dream life when I have time and freedom to do those things. We want to focus on lifestyle. When I first, when I first started in business, um, I had a mentor and he gave me the best advice that really stuck with me. He said, you know, Jerry, a lot of people, when they get into business, they, they tell themselves, you know, I'm going to grind it out for a couple years. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be long days and long hours for, you know, like maybe two years to get the business off the ground. And I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to put in the 80 hours a week and 100 hours a week. And if I do that, then, you know, when that two years is over and I build the business, I'll arrive. And I'll get to this point where I can now enjoy all the fruits of my labor. But what happens when you're working like that consistently for time, for a long time? What happens? Well, what do you form? What What do you create? Habits. And then is it hard to break those habits? Have you guys ever heard or known somebody that has a lot of money and they still work a lot of hours? Why? Habits. They've, that's just the habits they've created from working so much that they think that that's just how it is and that's normal. Yeah, for them that's normal because of the habits they created. And their health is bad and their relationships are bad and they're you know, divorced or their kids don't want anything to do with them or their spirituality is not good, right? Because they don't put any focus in those other areas because it's just about working and making money. So my mentor, he said to me, Figure out how to build the business without compromising and overworking. Figure that out. What if you said to yourself, I want to build this business and the less I work, the more I make. You know, the way that happens is you live up in this box right here. And yeah, it's not, I mean, I'm not saying any of this is easy, right? But if you can live up here, meaning you have people, systems, and processes that are doing the day-to-day operations of the business without you being there, what happens now? more time, more freedom. You're you're the owner. Two things, people and systems, people and technology. That's how you build a business where it's not dependent on you for it to operate and be successful. And I want you to be thinking every time we talk about one of these boxes, one of these functions of the business, how can I get technology or a person to do that thing, to do that specific task so I don't have to do it? And maybe you have to do it in the beginning, but what's the goal? To keep doing it or to stop doing it? Yep. Your goal is to get out of these functions down here and live up here. If you notice up here I've got 10% tactical, 90% strategic. What's the difference between tactical activities and strategic activities? Tactical is the day-to-day operations, right? It's the actual tasks that need done. It's writing an offer, it's, you know, analyzing comps, hiring a contractor. It's the day-to-day things for this whole thing to operate. Strategic is making sure these functions are all working properly, how they should work. It's finding the talent. It's putting a process in place and training somebody how to do that process. right? It's utilizing Flipster. A lot of this is all built inside Flipster. How we, that's our management tool. That's our software right, to run this entire business is Flipster. So if you could spend your time focusing on the business development side, people in technology, and that's the majority of your time, only 10% of your time is actual tactical type things. How quickly do you think you'd build this business? In fact, the, the, the sooner you can get into that role, the sooner this will all just take off. Now, you may, when you first start any business, you're kind of living in all these boxes. But I want you to adapt the belief and the mindset of, I got to get out of this box. I can't live in this box. Or the business isn't going to grow and I'm just going to be working all the time and working long hours and that's not why we're here. It's not what we're doing. So a lot of leadership, right? Because people, these are our two key roles is our operations manager and our acquisitions manager, which we'll talk a lot about. How do you get really good talent? How do you attract talent to want to be in your company, your organization? Is it a function so much of like how much you pay them? We tend to think it is. No, because if they're really talented, they can go anywhere and get paid well. So what's so special about you? Why should they they come to you? People just are excited to be on a winning team. That's it. I love that. Talent will go where there's vision. If they don't see, if they don't buy into your vision, and if you don't do a good job of showing them the vision, they'll go somewhere else because talent wants to be in an organization where there's vision, meaning they believe in what you're doing. And Trent, if you attach to that leader and you're like, they're going places, I want to be on this train, they're going places, then you stay. If you feel like, if there comes a point where you're like, you know what, I don't like where this is going, I don't like the vision they have, I don't like the direction, then you'll leave and you'll go somewhere where there's greater vision because that's what talent does. Talent follows the vision. How do you develop yourself to where people want to buy into your vision and want to be part of your vision? That's the key.